to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their filmic adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. All right. And we are talking about everything, everything. By everything, everything, Yoon. everything, everything, everything. Absolutely everything. <laughs> everything. And yet we were just saying that we don't <laughs> know if we have anything to talk about regarding oh, this title. Yeah. Oh, dear. <sighs> I also, I'm troubled about how we're even going to approach this given the significance of the twist to this book being worthwhile but I guess we'll talk about all that in a second huh yeah so yeah. let's get through the news but we will we will do a preemptive spoiler warning yeah it's always a spoiler warning but in this case it's a big old spoiler warning yes because I read the book cold and then I read the book knowing and you really want to read this book not knowing so and I never like normally spoilers I think people way overreact to but I actually kind of think that this one ruins the book. So if you do think that this is a book you want to read, maybe don't listen to this episode till you've done that. Yes. Yes. For sure. Okay. But before that, do you have any news? I have news. I have news that literally just crossed my Twitter feed. I was going to talk about a book I just started reading, but I've been on the fence about whether it's worth podcast time. Okay. And then this news from Dark Horse Comics crossed my Twitter feed, and I was like, this is relevant to Joe's interests. So I'm putting it on the news. I love things that are relevant to my interests. <laughs> John Allison has a new title coming out. So okay. John Allison is the creator of Giant Days. <gasps> yes. Okay, so let me read it to you. Okay. It's called Steeple. So Treadgarren Parish in a sleepy Cornish coastal town fabled for its cursed origins. Uh, a newly arrived vicar quickly befriends another local priest before realizing that they serve very different masters. Beset on all sides by witchcraft, the church of Satan, battling reverends, officious housekeepers, and the ever-present sons of the sea, Billy Baker and Maggie Warren must balance the war between good and evil with the needs of their parishioners. After all, this town has supernatural problems that a nice cup of tea won't fix. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. Okay, so it's I think it's definitely probably closer to young uh, to new adult than young adult. Um the characters are early in their careers as vicars. Vicars. Um but they are really young. Like the illustrations are not drastically different from Giant Days it doesn't look like. Okay. It's written and drawn by John Allison and the same letterer who does Giant Days is back, uh, Jim Campbell, but it's a different colorist and it comes out uh september 18th so it's available for pre-order now there's only going to be five issues so it's a, a mini series and john allison okay. says at a time when we align ourselves along ever more partisan lines and refuse to believe that the other side might have anything useful to say steeple is my attempt to show just how wide and deep the gray area actually is I'm uniquely placed to tell this story as personally, my carefully held beliefs fold like a card table in the face of anyone who sounds like they know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like it's got his trademark weird humor and uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. Especially, yeah. I mean, you and I have a lovely connection to, well, you actually have a connection to Britain and I just happen to love a lot of British media. Yeah. So. This is very, very up our respective alleys, not just mine. I totally. Say. Oh, no, I was I was just as excited about it. Yeah, so we've talked about Giant Days, and I think we've talked about Bad Machinery before. Yes. So if listeners haven't checked out those titles yet, they've got lots and lots to peruse and see if John Allison is up their alley. And if so, September 18th for Steeple. Fun. Okay. I'm down. I'm I know, right? Down. I was really excited. <laughs> I was like, oh, Joe's going to be so thrilled. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, my contribution is I went to see, it's a little off-brand for the podcast, but it's kind of on-brand for the forthcoming conversation. So maybe I'll just, once again, spoiler warning for everything, everything, because this ties into it a little bit. Hmm. So I went to see the new Blumhouse horror film Ma about a week and a half ago. Okay. So this is the new film with Octavia Spencer as a mildly, well, no, more than mildly. She's quite deranged, middle-aged woman who lures a pack of teenagers into her basement as a safe haven for them to party in. Oh. The film is billed as a bit of a social thriller, aka horror film, because... (laughs) She obviously has nefarious plans for these teens, and it comes to light that she has a complicated backstory in which she, uh, I guess spoilers for Ma, in case anyone was also uh, planning on watching that. (laughs) She has a complicated backstory where she was the victim of a sexual trauma in high school as part of a prank, and it's left her with a lot of emotional baggage, and in the interceding time period, she... seemingly has gotten her act together like she's come out okay but of course the movie reveals that the moment that she's in a position of power to kind of reclaim this she ends up being a a bit of a homicidal maniac right so the interesting tie-in it's a bit of an odd film in the way that it wants you to sympathize with the teen characters who are her prey but you also then get this backstory that make you sympathize with her situation Mm. It's very slight in a lot of ways, but it's unpacking a lot of nuanced and complicated elements at the same time. I can imagine people actually writing some pretty serious uh, academic treatments of the way it depicts race and poverty and sexual trauma and violence. Hmm. That sounds interesting. Yeah, I guess the main reason I was thinking of it in this capacity mm. was because the character of Ma, so her real name is Sue Ann, it's revealed late in the film that she actually has a daughter. And the daughter is in a wheelchair, but at one point she actually gets out of the wheelchair and it's revealed that she's not actually sick, but that she is being locked in the house by her mother and made to believe that she is ill. Oh, man. So we're dealing with Munchausen by proxy. I was going to say, it's Munchausen by proxy day on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) it was just very odd because I was preparing for this episode well, I watched this film and I thought oh wow okay and then there's also the I believe it's an AMC series called The Act which is based on a famous real life case of Munchausen by proxy so it just seems like yeah everything's coming up. Munchausen? Yeah. (laughs) It is Uh, weird though I do feel like we have little like cultural blips around Munchausen by proxy like it becomes of great interest to artists and writers for like brief periods of time and then it disappears again Mm -hmm. in the 80s i feel like there was a lot of munchausen by proxy stuff and like dateline episodes and things so yeah it's weird i hadn't thought about it in a long time but i remember being really interested in it when i took psych because it's so it's fascinating it is fascinating so i guess terrible obviously i mean well Today is going to be interesting because I don't think we usually see these stories from the perspective of the patient. No. So I guess we've given away the twist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, let's transition into our main discussion on Nicola Yoon's Everything, Everything. Sure. Everything, Everything, Nicola Yoon's first novel uh, came out in 2015. The main character is Madeline or Maddie Whittier, and she has 
she is being treated for severe combined immunodeficiency syndrome, which is the syndrome that's the medical name for um, what you might more colloquially think of as bubble baby disease. Mm-hmm. And that sent me down a rabbit hole of like wikipedia bubble oh, babies and yeah. like that whole thing. And oh, I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. Anyway, it's fine. <laughs> they live in L.A., her mom is a doctor and also her doctor and her mom... Yeah, which is Red Flag Central right there. Seriously. And her mom maintains the home as a perfectly safe space. So unlike David Vetter, was that his name from the 80s, where you just saw him like in a bubble inside his like regular normal house, basically the entire house is a bubble. Everybody who comes in and out gets disinfected and Maddie has never been outside of her home, at least not in her memory. So the story follows her and her experience of, I mean, solitude, really. Her only sort of friend surrogate is her nurse, Carla. And she reads a lot. She's a good student because what else would she be, right? Right. She has like movie nights and games nights with her mom. Her life is really small. It's confined to the space of her bubble. Very sheltered, yeah. I mean, sheltered is an understatement. What's (laughs) more than sheltered? She's bomb sheltered. Yeah. So then, of course, it's a YA novel. A boy moves in across the street, and he's a troubled boy. Oh, yeah, so... That's um, super hot. <laughs> he is, apparently. We're told that he just turns out to be a mediocre white boy, but whatever. Sure. Anyway, so his name is Oliver. He goes by Ollie, and he is troubled in the sense that his dad is abusive, and his family situation is not great, and he has moved around a lot. He doesn't have a lot of money, and the family is pretty unstable. And his mom, his mom defends his father and his father's violence. He also has a sister. She doesn't figure out into the plot of the book particularly, but she's very significant in the film. She is the most important person in Ollie's life until he meets Maddie. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of courting via text message, bunt cakes, and windows. And eventually Carla, who is... She's sympathetic. She's sympathetic. And I, I think she's always wondered if there was really anything actually wrong with Maddie. But anyway, she lets Ollie into the house. She has like really strict rules. He has to stay on one side of the room, blah, 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 blah. But she lets him in the house. And so they begin a relationship where Carla is enabling her to see Ollie. And there's a kiss. Of course, there's a kiss. And eventually, everything comes to a head because... Everything, everything? Everything, 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 everything comes to a head because Maddie hears Ollie and his father arguing on the front lawn. And she sees his father strike him. And she without even really thinking, just runs out of the house to see if he's okay. Mm -hmm. And her mom flips the freak out. Yeah, because her mom puts some pieces together and realizes that, like, she's not reacting this way because a stranger has been hit. She's acting this way because she loves Ollie. And they have a conversation. She gives Maddie enough space to confess that she's been having these secret meetings with Ollie. Maddie doesn't confess. And we find out that her mom knows because she found his rubber band Mm -hmm. in the house. And of course, it's not like my house where there's there's Just rubber bands everywhere. Well, there's just stuff everywhere, right? Like the idea that you would find anything in this apartment (laughs) with a toddler (laughs) and (laughs) two working adults and a babysitter who comes and goes and be like, I have solved the mystery. It'd be like, where did this come from? And was it up someone's nose? (laughs) instead it's like the house is hermetically sealed right so she finds a black rubber band she's never seen before she knows she knows it's ollie's 
She flips out. The mom yeah. flips out. She fires Carla uh, for going against her wishes and hires a Nurse Ratchet type character. And basically, if Maddie didn't think her life could get locked down anymore, she was wrong mm-hmm. because her life gets locked down even more in that now her internet privileges have been revoked, et cetera, et cetera. And in... So she rebels. She rebels hardcore. She wants a life. She wants to leave the house. So she books a ticket to Hawaii and escapes the house when her mom is either asleep or at work. I can't remember. It's asleep in the book and at work in the movie, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. And she lies to Ollie and tells him she's taking these like secret drugs she bought off the internet that are going to keep her safe. And he just wants to believe her, so he does. Yeah. And they go to Hawaii for two days. And they have and a magical, magical trip. And great. Yes, and they have, they have the one sex scene that is the prerequisite of every YA romance. Mm-hmm. And then she wakes up the next morning and she's incredibly sick. Yeah. And so she goes to the hospital. Well, she doesn't go to the hospital. Ollie makes sure she gets to the hospital. Her mom has already figured out that she's away and is kind of on her way there. So Ollie enables her to find Maddie, I guess. And then the next thing she knows, she's being discharged against medical advice and taken back to Los Angeles, where she's locked back up in her bubble with her mom. The mm-hmm. lockdown <laughs> continues apace, I guess. Joe texted me at this point in the book and was like, this is so repetitive. <laughs> it is a little bit. But like her life is circumscribed by these circumstances. Yeah. I think it's just at this point the the luster or maybe the writing is kind of on the wall. Like something is up and it, yeah. I just wanted Yoon to just get to it. And I think for me, I will say the first time I read this book, that scene where she gets sick in Hawaii was like, oh my God, she really is like, she really is going to die. She risked her life for this boy. Like, because mm-hmm. I read this book when it first came out, there had been no breath about what the twist was. Right. Or even to expect a twist. Or to even expect a twist, right? No, you just think there's gonna they're just gonna be doomed lovers, right? That's all there is to it. And I had just read The Fault in Our Stars, so I I mean I was really expecting someone to just die. Right. So for me, the first time I read the book, this point was really like emotionally intense. Okay. But once I knew about the twist, which is that she was never sick at all, because now she's seen an outside doctor, right? Mm -hmm. One of the doctors in Hawaii sends her an email and says Honey, I don't think you have... Girl, you're not sick. <laughs> ...compromised immune system. Here are your test results. Everything is normal, even though you had, like, basically a heart infection, a viral heart infection from the plane, because you have no immune system, because you've never been outside, but you're not sick in any other meaningful way. And this, of course, shatters Maddie's world. Her mom denies it, but through her denials, Maddie realizes that she was lying all along she was sick she was traumatized i guess i left out the part that two years before maddie's life got completely locked down or no six months before maddie's life got completely locked down her father and her brother died in a car accident yes and this has really been the mom's reaction yeah it's her coping mechanism yeah she can't abide the thought so maddie gets sick with like an ear infection that won't go away about six months after her father and brother are killed and uh, maddie's really really sick she's only an infant she's maybe six months or a year old or something and yeah this is her mom's trauma reaction she's just like okay let's shut down the world this is we're done here (laughs) we're done here with living yeah it's the only way to protect her daughter seemingly that's how she feels. So, but it's also not that deliberate, right? No, men, oh no, it's not. You're meant to realize all. very quickly that her mom is not well. Her mom is not well, and it's very much a situation where 
Nobody can figure out why she's having these recurrent ear infections. Nobody can figure out why she's so sick. Nobody can figure out why she can't get better. And so Pauline, that's the mom's name, wants to figure it out. And the answer that she comes to is unhinged because Mm -hmm. she's deeply traumatized and terrified, right? Yep. And so she she does believe that her daughter has skid. Like she doesn't think that she's lying to her, right? Like she has convinced herself that this is what Maddie has. But when she confronts her mom, she realizes there's no paperwork, there's no diagnosis, there's no nothing. She confesses to Carla, who helps her to get all this confirmed by another doctor. And at the end of the book, we're really left with this sort of hanging question of like, can her mother be forgiven for basically taking away 18 years of her life. Mm-hmm. But the book and the film are not interested no. in that. They no. <laughs> just want to get the, the lovers reunited. So she flies to New York where Ollie is now living. Ollie, while they were in their period of sort of silence post-Hawaii, Ollie has convinced his mom to leave their dad and they have relocated to New York, I guess. And Maddie flies there with a copy of her favorite book, the Little Prince, which she hides in this used bookstore. And Ollie finds it and apparently doesn't need any actual explanation of what has happened. And they are together, the end. Yeah, love conquers all. I don't know, man. I also do not know. This book changed... Uh, no, I won't say that. But this book has challenged a lot of my feelings about spoilers. I really can't overstate that. Because, like, I've never had this experience before where I read a book once and then... It's a completely different experience the next time you read it. It's a completely different and not very interesting experience the second time I read it. I didn't realize how much hung on the twist. Yeah, which in layman's terms typically means that the twist is not actually good. Because if you can't enjoy what surrounds it, then everything is just hanging on a kind of empty frame. Did we say what Munchausen by Proxy is? Should we? Have we explained? I literally just talked about it on my other podcast, but no, we have not talked about it. So (laughs) Munchausen by Proxy is a clinical diagnosis, Mm -hmm. and it tends to affect primarily women. Mothers. Yeah, it's usually caregivers and their children are the sufferers. So what they do is they claim that their child is ill and they fabricate symptoms and they do often do things to make their children physically ill. And part of the strangeness of it is that they're doing it to get attention, but they're not looking for attention for themselves. They're almost living vicariously through the illness and the attention that their sick child gets. And it's very, very dangerous because obviously caregivers can really control the circumstances in which the information is passed out, how frequently their children get to the hospital or see doctors. And it has an alarmingly high rate of the children either being killed by their caregiver or they end up having to be taken away and ending up like in foster care or something like that so it's quite dire it is and what's interesting is in the in everything everything so a lot of cases of Munchausen by proxy the caregiver eventually has to do things to trigger the symptoms right so Mm -hmm. like you hear about injecting things into their child's blood so that blood tests come back positive for foreign bodies or poisoning children it's really terrible stuff yeah harming them like physically harming them in order to provoke the kind of symptoms that will get the diagnosis that they're seeking that's not what's happening here 
No, there isn't even an attempt to fake the symptoms because mm-hmm. she's just locked her down. Yeah, she doesn't have to, right? And in many ways, I think that's part of what makes her a more sympathetic character than we often see in these roles. It is abusive to confine someone, and mm-hmm. and what she has done to Maddie is abuse. I'm not. I'm not going to pretend it's not. But because of the form that this version of Munchausen by proxy has taken. Yeah, as you say, Pauline isn't doing anything to cause the symptoms. The symptoms are all in the past. Pauline is like doing all this stuff to keep her quote unquote healthy. And I think that's what makes it easy for Pauline to believe that the skid diagnosis that she has fabricated is real. Yeah. And of course, because Maddie is a child, she Mm -hmm. doesn't think to question that because her mother, who is a medical profession... Because I think that's the other big piece that this book and the film hinges on is this yeah. idea that her mother is an educated woman. What reason would she have to lie to her? And every encounter that we see of the pair of them is one of affection and love and protection, mm-hmm. which I think is actually one of the problems with the twist is because there's nothing to foreshadow that it's even coming. No. Because you're you're never meant to question Pauline's beliefs. You're just meant to think of her as a bit of a, you know, she's just a bit strict. Yes. I think if we saw her trying to be controlling in other ways, I think Yoon tries, right? Like Maddie's clothes have obviously always been picked out by her mom because why would she care what she wears so she mostly wears like white t-shirts and jeans Mm -hmm. and when she gets interested in ollie she starts to wonder would i look better in different colors so she orders a whole bunch of like different colored shirts and her mom's like huh i wonder what this is about but i think if that had been pushed a little bit more like she returns the shirts because she didn't pick them out or like we saw more evidence of her attempting to control beyond the symptoms, beyond the sickness, Mm -hmm. I think the twist would make more sense and maybe the book wouldn't collapse once you know it. Yeah, I agree with you. So my background with this was I... I'd never heard of the book, but I had heard the movie, which came out in 2017. And the reason that I had heard of the movie was because it was immediately, like critics made no attempt to hide the twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so none! They they actively <laughs> said, this movie is bad because of this twist. So they didn't name it, but they explicitly helped people to anticipate it. And then when people reacted, because honestly, it's really hard not to react badly to this mm-hmm. twist because it feels very manipulative and mm-hmm. it feels like it comes out of nowhere and in fairness i think it's a lot worse in the movie it is like, worse I think in the movie the twist yeah. is handled a lot worse in the movie hmm. mm-hmm. like i hadn't seen the movie before we did before we prepped for the podcast but when the movie first came out i knew the book right, right. and i saw the movie maybe two or three months after it came out it was on someone's list of like mental health movies released this year and i was like what? just placing it on that list you just yeah you gave away <laughs> Oops, you know, and and I've I've seen people refer to it as like that Munchausen by proxy movie, and it's like oh, yeah. okay, um, I understand why because I do think it is ham fisted in the movie because we have even less relationship to Pauline, so we have even less understanding of her motivation in the film version. It's very problematic. But I think that unfortunately, that very natural reaction to wanting to react to it, its poor construction in the film has sort of retroactively just ruined this book. (laughs) This book is done. (laughs) Yeah, because that was my experience. So after the backlash, I was curious. So I looked up what the twist was and never anticipating that I would actually watch it or read the source material. (laughs) Yeah. And um, 
it seemed ludicrous, but I thought it was probably just because I was reading it out of context. So when we started to read the book, I actually had disassociated the book and the film. So I think when we mentioned we were doing this, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I think I remember that. And it's because in the back of my mind, I was remembering the twist. But then when I'm reading it, and particularly when she gets to Hawaii and then she actually does become ill, it seems to confirm like, oh, no, yeah. okay, I must have just misremembered or misheard or I'm conflating it with some other text. But I did spend the majority of the book just being like, this is so repetitive and it's just not. Because <laughs> part of the problem is that it feels like something is coming. Yeah. And when she leaves to go to Hawaii, that's what you think it is. You think she's just going to run away. And yeah, it's that she might die or that she and, yeah, she and Ollie are going to live out their their final days together or something like that. Um, But that's quite late in the book. And the most, the majority of the book is therefore a very strictly regimented day in the life of Mm. account of a girl who's honestly not doing much because she can't, which Mm -hmm. I understand is a construction like it's replicating what life is like for her. It's not particularly interesting. And then she falls in love. But that's also a story, like literally every book that we've read nearly (laughs) has had this. And there's nothing particularly special about this relationship between Maddie and Ollie. So I was just left wanting for so much of the book. And then, yeah, like we get to the twist and I'm just like, God, this sucks. Why? (laughs) You know what I think would be a better book? (laughs) Allow me to rewrite your book for you, Nicola Yoon. I wonder if it would be a more effective story if it wasn't exclusively focalized through Maddie. Like if we had a sort of back and forth between Maddie and Ollie. Mm. There's some interesting stuff at the beginning where Ollie's like trying to figure out why this chick never leaves the house. (laughs) Yeah, and of course she doesn't come out and tell him because she doesn't want to be that girl. She wants to be a normal girl. Right, and so there's this scene where he's like, are you pregnant? Are you under house arrest? Are you grounded? And I wanted to know more about, I honestly, I wanted to know more about his days. Like what happens when he goes to school? What is it like to spend all your time thinking about a girl who you you physically cannot possibly be with? Mm -hmm. What is going on at home? What is the backstory? Why are you so protective of your sister? What don't we know about what's going on with your dad? Yeah, this definitely feels like a case where like if it was Becky Albertalli or Adam yes. Silvera, we would have gotten that structure. Yes. And I think you're right. It would have really opened things up. Part of what Yoon is trying to capture is that like we're really meant to sympathize, but also to kind of live in the weight of an isolated, lonely existence. Yes. It also doesn't make for particularly interesting reading. No, it doesn't. And I think there are a lot of ways that that could have been different too. Like if Maddie was a more rebellious kid, if we saw her trying to find like little ways to sneak around the rules, if we if we saw some semblance that she recognized the circumscription of her life before Ollie. Mm-hmm. There's apparently like a friendship from before, right? A family that had lived across the street before. Yes, but never developed. But no never developed. Given. And that's the kind of thing like... I would like to understand more about where she's coming from with this relationship by understanding that relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah, I gotta say I was incredibly disappointed by this one because I remembered having been so blown away by it the first time I read it because I guess I had never read anything like it before. Right, yeah. I mean, it's it's unique in that premise, right? Yeah. Because you think with a lot of cichlid stuff, it's just about children trying to find some kind of meaning in their lives or Maybe that's the problem. She's not trying to find any meaning She's in her really life not, until all shows up. Because she's so complacent, up. right? 
she is a very complacent protagonist and that makes it hard. It also makes it, this time when I read it through, I was like, oh, wait, why are we going to Hawaii? What? What is happening? <laughs> oh my gosh. It feels so out of the blue. Yeah. And I know she's trying to tie it into like her dad loved Maui. It was his favorite place. But again, because there's no attention spent on these other perspectives, mm-hmm. it's almost an afterthought. You're like, oh yeah, Maui, that's where that one photo is from. Yeah, it's tricky too, right? Because the condition is such that it's not as though you would develop it at a later stage in your in your young life. Like right. if you would have it, you would have it from birth. The other thing, which is me wishing as opposed to actually acknowledging what is happening in the text, if it could have been that she was diagnosed, I'm putting that in quotation marks, later in her in her life or if maybe her father and her brother had died later so that she actually had memories of them or yeah you know she had she remembered a life where she could go outside and she wanted to get back to that for me a big part of this was that so much of her rebellion and her awakening is tied to a boy yes and we've had so many conversations about how this is just it's not good. It's not a good narrative to be giving yeah. to young readers that like love is the thing that will set you free and help you to appreciate life. It's also interesting when you think about the privileged circumstances that Maddie lives in. Like she has access mm-hmm. to the best tutors, to these incredible educators who Skype into her from all over the world, and not one of them has sparked her interest in the world. Yeah. But this mediocre white guy who moves in across the street and suddenly she like wants to go to Maui. Yeah, I don't know. What, like his defining criteria is that he he's into parkour and he can <laughs> climb up onto the roof. <laughs> I get it. Girl, you are star for engagement. But at the same time, you don't need to fall in love with every little white boy who walks by. <laughs> no. I actually think that's even more acute in the film because as much as I love the young man who who plays Ollie because he's our young star from Love, Simon. Mm-hmm. Nick Robinson. They take away, like, they even take away the parkour, Joe. Like, he yeah. doesn't even have parkour in the film version. Well, maybe let's introduce the film at this <laughs> okay. point and we can do a bit of a contrast comparison. Sounds good. This is my whole world. My nurse, my mom, my sickness. I'm 18 and I've never been outside. If I did, I would probably die. Hi, my mom sent a bunt. Welcome to the neighborhood. Is your daughter around? No, she isn't. When I talk to him, I feel like I'm outside. He's here. Who's here? You're really different than I thought you were going to be. Sexier, right? (laughs) What would happen if you went outside? Probably spontaneous combustion. Here I have HEPA filters, outsized viruses, and bacteria. Where would you go if you could? The ocean. I've never seen it. Are you sure you feel fine? Actually, I feel perfect. I'm standing still. Is it always like that? It's never like that. It's not up to you to decide what she needs. You have to go. She was my friend. She was supposed to keep you safe. You can't see him again. Okay, 
so Everything Everything is a film from 2017, so it was adapted fairly quickly after the book came out. So I've gathered the book must have been either well-received or very popular. It was very popular. Okay. And I actually think it was also well-received, if I remember correctly. I certainly remember, like, young adult fan communities being very into it. Interesting. It's just so removed from my experience that I struggle. (laughs) Without trying to be, like, very negative, it's just, yeah, coming at this from the opposite way, this was not a good week for me. No, I know. (laughs) I should say, I think it won... Like, I think it won some awards, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I would have to check on that. Anyway, sorry. Talk to us about the film, Joe. Yeah. So this is adapted by J. Mills Goodlow, and it is directed by Stella Meghee. And I believe that this is her feature film debut. She is a, a woman of color. The writer, I believe, is a white guy. It stars Amanda Steinberg, who is also our protagonist from the Hate You Give adaptation. And then, yes. as you mentioned before we ran the trailer, Ollie is played by Nick Robinson. And the mom, Pauline, is played by Tony Award winner Anika Noni Rose. And Carla is played by Anna de la Reguera. Right. And that's really it, because there's, there's principally four characters in this entire movie. Well, they add two characters to the film, right? We get Ollie's younger sister. Yes. And we get Carla's daughter. Yeah. Who, I don't Which know, is kind of unnecessary. Unnecessary. Just completely yeah. unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. Ollie's younger sister, Kara, is played by Taylor Hickson, and she is a Canadian actress who is in a fantastic YA coming-of-age film called Giant Little Ones. And Ooh. I would really encourage people to check that out. It's a queer coming-out narrative that I believe just dropped on VOD last week. Cool. Also Canadian. So, so good. Good to know. Okay. Maybe I should have gone with that instead of Ma. (laughs) (laughs) Redo the homework. Right. Okay. So you briefly touched on some of the issues that you had with the film, but should we quickly revisit the issue? Because the lack of Pauline honestly just sinks this film. Like it does not work as a result because the twist is so unearned. Yes, totally agree. So like so many of the YA films, film adaptations we've talked about, we lose the parents in the adaptation. And usually it's fine. But here yeah, it's kind of like, oh, it would have been nice to have gotten a bit more of that. And here you're just like, what are you thinking? <laughs> well, there's two main characters in this in this book. Let's axe one of them. Hope for the best. The one who pr- literally provides the conflict. Sure, let's just reduce her to a handful of scenes. Yeah, it's it's very confusing because I also think that because of the way it's been rewritten, I'm not sure whether the director didn't know how to direct her or she didn't know what to do with it, but it's like, I can't tell if I'm supposed to distrust her from the beginning or mm. not. She plays it very strangely. Again, I think probably because, I mean, the script seems pretty freaking weird. Um, yeah, I I didn't have as many problems with it. Like, I appreciated some of the attempts to open it up a little bit more visually, some of the attempts Mm. to modernize some of the technology so they they have phones as opposed to instant messaging. Yeah. I liked the visualization of their conversation, so it wasn't as I liked that, too. And I liked liked her favorite room. Like, they think they really brought that to life. So in the book, she's got this glassed-in room where she can sort of pretend that she's in the real world. Yes. Um, And it's very beautifully articulated in the film version. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's house porn to the max. This also is comically, I mean, it's so hysterically not Los Angeles. No, no. It's Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. 
every time Ollie's like, I don't get why you love Vanc- or why you love Los Angeles so much. I'm like, why do you keep talking about Los Angeles? This is <laughs> clearly no not one. Los Angeles. <laughs> and then the best part is that New York is also Vancouver. Yes. <laughs> at the end of the movie. That bookstore that they go into is in Gastown. Yeah, it's oh. McLeod's books. Yeah. Anyway. Honestly, yeah. people have gotten a very nice guided tour of British Columbia and more specifically Vancouver as a result of all the films that we've watched for this <laughs> so podcast. True. People, you know you love it. You want to come visit. At that last scene where they're running down the street, I was like, that is not a New York street. No. Like, by no means. Mm-mm. I did like the kind of whimsy that gets incorporated into that scene where they're having the phone texting conversation and she imagines the two of them having a face-to-face in the diner and she's got the astronaut that she always incorporates into all of her school projects, which is a metaphor that I'm not sure (laughs) I fully understand, both the astronaut but also her interest in architecture because neither really seems to come to anything. No, it's again, these are two things that are not. <sighs> it's a lot of sighing on your end this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's because Ewing spends so much time setting up the constraints of the world that she forgets to tell us who this person is. I think that's what it is. And in the film version, it's 900% worse. Yeah, it's coasting on the charm of both Amanda and Nick. And totally. they are delightful. As they're always. really cute. Like they're. they're eminently watchable young actors who have fantastic charisma okay chemistry Mm -hmm. gorgeous skin but uh... (laughs) okay that sounded like you were gonna make a suit out of one (laughs) of them (laughs) look i'm just making a recipe with delicious young actors on it no i mean to me i was honestly just kind of eyeing up the house and thinking about how nice it would be to live in that three million dollar home three then, 12 <laughs> but basically spending most of my time thinking oh wow somehow this film is even less interesting than the book yeah it is it's way less interesting than the book i didn't fall asleep but i kept like realizing i wasn't paying attention but yeah. it, it was late at night and i well, didn't even have my phone i was just like staring to the left of the screen for periods of time is that a shadow on the wall what's happening it's over there not compelling at all like the scenes where the two of them are doing their banter are great. Again, because you're right. They're both super likable, super watchable. Mm-hmm. But the montage in Hawaii, I don't think I watched it. I don't know what I was watching. Like, my well, hands? I don't know. But, yeah. oh my god. Boring, boring, boring. And this is interesting, too, because the Hawaii scenes in the book are informed by Ollie having a friend who has kind of run away from home himself because he has come out as gay and his family has not accepted him and he's more or less living independently as a surfer. And it forms a bit of an interesting triad because they're all children with problematic relationships to parents but in very different capacities. But it really informs the fact that Maddie and Ollie have run away and to a certain extent they're in danger maddie you in danger girl sorry ghost reference (laughs) but in the film (laughs) there is no example to that so it kind of just becomes a weird advertisement to go to hawaii and like swim and it's uncomfortable i don't really understand why Goodloe decides to keep certain things but then remove really important things from the book so like we get the scene where ollie checks out maddie while she's trying on a swimsuit that is ill-fitting and doesn't look good on her and you're just like 
yeah, we get it because they're going to have sex. But yep. ugh, it's icky. Yeah, it is icky. It's really icky. <laughs> I, I found that scene very cringy. Like I felt genuinely bad for Amanda. It felt like it was a little virgin on child pornography. Not going to lie. Yep, I fully agree. I don't actually think that the book works all that well. And it's 100% because I knew the twist. Yes. Whether it works without knowledge, I think you would get the one read out of it and then you would never be interested in reading it again. But it works in a certain capacity because you and Natty are so linked in this every day. Whereas with the film, we're not linked with her. We're just watching her. And watching her is excessively boring. (laughs) It's really true. And like we talked about, she's not the most exciting of character. But in the film, Ollie is also less interesting. And his family drama has also been more or less removed. Like we see a scene where his father pushes him. But we don't get these repeated scenes of the dad drinking on the porch or pushing the mom or hearing them yell or any of that kind of stuff. You know, we get cutesy stuff with the bunt cake instead. So his family drama doesn't really connect either. So it doesn't really feel like either one of them are escaping from anything. She's not interesting and we don't really know much about him. But they're all we have because there's no one else in this movie. Yep, it's true. It's a real shame. (laughs) because you know actually maybe i'm going to reframe that okay Okay, so something that we have talked about a lot is the fact that we put a lot of hope on own voices and diverse texts to kind of do everything and this is an example of like a bit of a noble failure right yeah but maybe there's a way to think about this it needs to be okay for a diverse book or a film adaptation with a diverse cast to be just okay yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, we need to have enough of these stories that some of them can be fine. Yes. Because I think in yeah. a lot of ways, it's fine. Yeah. Somebody put in the review, in a review, that, like, if you're a teen audience with a desire for the melodramatic, you're going to enjoy this movie, right? Like, that's, sure. I think, was the Guardian review of it. And maybe that can be a kind of victory in terms of the stuff we've been talking about a lot mm-hmm. lately. That is an interesting way to put it because I was actually very apprehensive initially about discussing this in any kind of negative disparaging way because it's a own voices author, it's a black filmmaker, it's an interracial romance, like it's got a lot of the things that we keep talking about how we wish we were seeing more of. So then to not see it come together, I don't know, it's it's this weird political correctness racism angle that I'm struggling with in myself with where I want to be supportive but I also don't want to give these texts both the film and the book a bit of a pass just because yeah and I think that's I mean that's something that's coming from our perspective as critics and I think we need to talk about the problems in the text I don't think anybody would suggest that we shouldn't I think the flip side of that is we need to think about what our expectations are when we pick up a diverse book absolutely We have read, we have read no shortage of mediocre white person books on the show, right? And there ain't no shortage of them getting pumped out every year. And again, like I I really hope that people who have this book on the shelf read it before they listened to us if they didn't know about the twist. Because I do think there's something really interesting and innovative and new going on Mm -hmm. in a first read of this text or can be. Yeah. And even the adaptation, which I think is 
like a significantly worse. Also, we haven't talked about this yet, but the shoehorning in of Carla's daughter for literally no reason. Yeah. Like what's interesting about Carla's daughter. So Carla, the nurse, has a daughter. What's interesting about her in the book is that Maddie has only ever heard about her. Mm-hmm. Maddie never gets to meet her, right? Like yeah. Maddie just knows there's this other girl who shares the other half of her nurse's life because her nurse yeah. spends eight hours a day with her, sometimes more. And it's very important because it offers us the insight into how mothers think of their children that we're meant to assume is being reflected in Pauline's experience, but we can't get that from her because, of course, to do so would be to reveal that Pauline is actually mentally ill. Yes. But Carla is very much a proxy mother in many ways as a result, and we're meant to contrast Maddie with Carla's daughter, Rosa, who seems, you know, a little bit ungrateful, a little bit more like your average teenager. Yes. So in the film version, when you just are like, the only other person who's allowed in the house is Carla's daughter. You're like, well, why would that, why, why would she be allowed in the house? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What makes her special? Because she's the daughter of the nurse? No. It also seems like people just kind of come and go very easily in the film. Like you just step into this room and you're good to go in. In the book, they talk about how it's like a two-hour process to get decontaminated. Yeah, that like Carla comes and like reads a book while she stands there. Here it's like, yep, you're in. Yeah, like don't forget to wipe your shoes on the mat while you walk through. And I feel kind of the same way about the sort of ham-fisted way they slot Ollie's sister into the film. Because in the book, it's not really until they get to Hawaii that Maddie understands that Ollie too is making a sacrifice by them going to Hawaii because he's left his sister alone with their parents and he feels intensely protective of her and he worries because Maddie is super self-involved. I mean, why wouldn't she be, right? There's nothing else in her world. And so it's only when she gets to Hawaii that she's like, oh, Ollie has stuff too and he has people he cares about beyond like his wondering about me. Yes. And instead in the film... She just becomes someone for Pauline to, like, bully for information. Yeah, which also doesn't work as well as how Pauline figures things out in the book, because in the book, she's so all in Maddie's life that she even knows how to break into her computer to access her emails. Like, it's just that additional level of not duplicitousness, but that she she's so all controlling. Yes. Whereas here, it's kind of like, she doesn't even know. She has to ask the neighbor, like, hey, do you know where my daughter went? <laughs> Have you seen your brother? Have you seen my daughter, who I apparently, like, completely controlling over, but also... Yeah, but also haven't noticed is gone. Hmm. And don't even have, like, find my friends set up on, on her iPhone? <sighs> yeah, because that's the other problem, is that she has the phone in the movie. So, yeah, you would just be able to track that phone, no problem. <laughs> it's absurd. <laughs> I do want to jump back to the book for a moment to recognize something that I quite liked. So I feel like I've been very down this entire episode. And I want to acknowledge, A, that Nicola Yoon is a very, she's a great writer. I found her writing super enjoyable to read, which made me all the more frustrated with the fact that I wasn't actually enjoying the narrative. But her writerly craft is quite good. And one of the things that I really liked was the introduction of illustrations throughout the text and alternative formats. So things like emails get reproduced, instant messaging conversations get reproduced. And I thought that that was a great addition to the text to live in it up. I agree. And did you see who did those illustrations? I did not. Her husband, who (gasps) we mentioned in the homework or the forecast episode, David Yoon. 
Yay, nice. Yep. Yeah, because they have a ton of personality. And yeah. to me, that was actually one of the things that helped make Maddie a little bit more interesting in the book. Yes. And I will say that I have mentioned on the show before, The Sun is Also a Star, yes. um, which is Nicola Yoon's second book. And it is a much more sophisticated read. I, I don't mean that in terms of like, it's hoity-toity. I just mean in terms of the characters being more sort of fleshed out and dimensional. A lot mm. of the things that we're talking about as problems with everything, everything are not problems in The Sun is Also a Star. So if you like the voice in this book or you're kind of intrigued by some of the stuff we're talking about, but we've wrecked it for you with the spoiler, Fair. maybe go ahead and pick up The Sun is Also a Star, which also has an adaptation out this summer, I believe. It does. Yeah, it's already in theaters, unfortunately not doing super well. So we might be able to tackle that in the fall. Cool. I mean, not cool, but you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. I saw a lot of parallels from what I've seen of the film and what I read about The Sun is Also a Star. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually more excited to check it out now, having read this and having been slightly disappointed with the way mm -hmm. that the book went, because I think by freeing herself of the pretzel narrative that she kind of has to work with because of the constraint of the twist, yes. I'm actually thinking that the second book will be that much more enjoyable because she can just tell a good story without being reliant on like who how do i keep this a secret yes and without giving anything away the sun is also a star it has a very realistic conclusion to its story okay i think i know where you're going with that but i won't say anything more she's not trying to kind of have it always which i think is part of what happens in this book right by attributing the illness to munchausen what could have been a really interesting sort of psychological profile of a mother and daughter, because it's very wrapped up in the love story, it yeah. ends up being like a wish fulfillment ending. Yeah. And I, I really wish she had followed the mother-daughter path, because yep. I actually think that's where the interesting magic in the book is. Absolutely. And yeah. trying to find out if Maddie can forgive her mother, if their relationship can rebuild. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to know about. I don't really care no 100 percent. and i'm i'm so right there with you i feel like we're back in our paper towns discussion mm -hmm. where i wish that this book had have cut off some of the beginning and spent the last little bit exploring what life yeah. is like for maddie not running off to new york to find a boy but actually having to say now i have to live in this world and i don't have a person that i can trust yes. and how do i rebuild that relationship or do i it's true because part of what I worry about in the film, in the, sorry, what I worry about in the way the text wraps up this story is that is she not just replacing one totalizing relationship mm -hmm. with another? Yeah. Right? Like what is she going to do? Move to New York and be with Ollie full time and what? Yeah. Yeah. And what? And so like. It's meant to be cheerworthy and swoonworthy because of the romance, but it crumbles as literal just fantasy fulfillment. Yep. But it's not a resolution. It doesn't satisfy in any kind of way. I think this is one of those things where um, our adult brains yeah. <laughs> get in the way of some of the enjoyment of it. Yeah. I would love to hear from a teenager's perspective who read this and yeah. either liked it or who really bought into the romance. Yeah. Because I wonder, yeah, is it just that we are jaded adults who are thinking like, no, I mean, you're an adult and all of a sudden you've had this band-aid ripped off your entire universe. How are you going to deal with it? And I wonder if teenagers are more like, we just got that, that boy, that really cute romance. <laughs> Good with yep. that. Happy with that. Yeah. Which, you know, fair. 
<laughs> but not for me. Not for me, no. And especially, I honestly felt bad for these actors having yeah. watched the movie, particularly the main three, Amanda, Nick, and then Anika Noni Rose, who I've seen on The Good Wife, as I mentioned off the top, she's a Tony Award winning Broadway star. Like, they're all really good. Yeah. And this material is not, not good. good. No. No. I would say. I mean, I'm guessing people have hopefully read the book if they've listened at this point, but I do think the book is, it's well-written, albeit Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would recommend it, knowing Mm -hmm. that that twist just kind of undermines everything, Mm -hmm. but I would definitely not recommend this movie. No, it's just not really worth your time. No. Mm -mm. Do we have YA bingo? Oh, by the way, update. Now when my toddler hears anybody say bingo, he goes, not a good bingo. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's amazing. Yep. And yep. mildly disconcerting. I don't know. Doesn't he understand even? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Bingo. Not a good bingo. Yep. So before we go into YA bingo, as a reminder... So we have three more weeks of regular episodes, and we are looking for suggestions on replacement bingo slots. We're rewriting the card. Exactly. So what tropes do we not talk about enough? What do you always scream and say, why aren't you thinking about this? Let us know. We'll add it to the card, and we'll keep an eye on it for the next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for now, still using the same card. <laughs> My automatic one was house porn. House porn. I may have texted it to you in all caps. All caps. <laughs> <laughs> that house, honestly. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I may have drooled a little bit. Yeah, and I think alongside house porn is rich people problems. Not that I think that like either a severely compromised immune system or the disorder of Munchausen by proxy are rich people problems, but more that the fact that they can live the way they do that she can that Mm -hmm. her mother can have this sort of totalizing bubble like these are rich people problems you betcha yeah which are hand waved away by saying there was a settlement after my dad died oh there was was there yeah okay (laughs) how how lovely for you (laughs) parents just don't understand (laughs) obviously very much so on both sides of the fence so it applies to both maddie and ollie's families yeah yeah secondary queer subplot for the friend in hawaii yep it's uh, slight, but we'll take it. <laughs> um, I think that's what I had. Yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's doing a couple of things, and that's it. I'm glad the book exists because it gave us Nicola Yoon. Yeah. And uh, I do really encourage people to pick up The Sun is Also a Star, and we will get to it at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. We're slowly building up our list of things that we can do that addresses like recent text, so it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Some of them it's I'm exciting. looking forward to, some of them not so much. So. <laughs> Next week, we're going to take a look at I Love You, Beth Cooper. Yes, so this is a book that's written by one of the guys who worked on The Simpsons for many, many years. Really? came out in 2007 and was adapted a couple of years later into a film that stars the cheerleader from Heroes, Hayden Panettiere. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So the film is actually celebrating its 10-year anniversary this week. Well, good next week. good at remembering week, the anniversaries. So. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're going to be looking at that as our second last episode of the season. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, if you want to talk to us about your feelings on everything, everything, or Nicola Hume, or why it's okay that sometimes texts are just fine, mm -hmm. uh, you can find us on the Twitters at hashtag HKHSPod. That gets both of us. Joe, what's your handle? Mine is at B Stole My Remote. That's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. Yeah. And if you want to send us an email, please know everything, everything slash fiction i don't think i want it no. but if you have something longer to send to us you can send it to us at hkhspod at gmail.com that's two weeks in a row i've remembered our email address look at you you're grown in leaps and bounds i'm so proud of me <laughs> um, until next time i guess i will see you on the page joe yes and i will see you on the screen